0: Today on Truth in Politics and Culture, we will begin with a story we didn't get to yesterday, the fact that people in Canada who are looking for bodies of children killed by Christians are continuing to come up empty. We will talk about Jimmy Buffett's amazing career from a business standpoint, a new Wall Street Journal 2024 election poll, and how a sudden rainstorm took the fire out of Burning Man. This is Dr. Tony Beam, and you know what time it is. Every day at this time, it's time to crank it up. uh here we go getting ready for a wednesday morning and i can't believe i got that right because i mean we were i was off monday and usually when i start talking about stuff like this i I think oh no 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 this is tuesday but it's wednesday because we were off monday is anybody else having that problem i mean is it kind of weird to think that it's wednesday already I just really like to hear that last crank it up before we get cranking, cranking here uh, this morning. Anyway, uh, welcome into the program. If you're watching live, thanks. Uh, if you're on Facebook, please like the show and share it. And um, pr- please feel free to engage in conversation in the comments section. Um, if you would, please just do me a favor and be civil, uh, treat each other with respect. I mean, this is a, uh, a Christian worldview, a, Christian, a biblical Christian worldview. Uh, show that talks about things from a biblical perspective, and it'd be nice if we sort of set the example by the way that we speak about each other and uh, the way you speak about me. I mean, not wanting to uh, agree with me, having some opinions that are pretty diametrically opposed to the things I'm talking about. I mean, that's fine. Uh, Open dialogue is a good thing, Um, but please engage in it in a way that reflects the fact that we're followers of Jesus Christ to speak the truth in love, Uh, because I think we need a lot more of that in the world. As I've said many times on this program, uh, you're going to hear a lot of me talking about Christian's role as being peacemakers in the coming 2024 election, because I'm I'm telling you, things are heating up now. I mean, it's likely, I think it's likely that the House of Representatives is going to launch Um, and um, impeachment uh, inquiry into President Joe Biden. Uh, That's going to turn the temperature up. You've got some of Trump's associates and aides that have been charged along with him that are beginning to, um, as some reports say, turn on the president that is beginning to give evidence against the former president in order to lighten their own load because they've been charged with crimes as well. Uh, and, And as the trials begin, um, it, you know, we get, we made it through the indictment phase, but as we get into the trials, I'm just really concerned that we're going to see a violence break out in this country in a way that maybe we haven't seen it before. Now we saw some terrible violence back in what was it? The summer of 2021, uh, 2020, 2021. I can't I can't remember which which summer it was when we had the George Floyd shooting and we had. Um, just, I think it was, what, it was at $3 billion in damage, I think was the number nationwide of, uh, town, you know, cities, businesses were burned, looted. Um, it was just a, a terrible summer. And I think we're in a position where we could see, we could eclipse that if we don't turn down the temperature in our country and find a better way to communicate. So you're going to hear that. I mean, I know you're going to, some of you are probably getting tired of it. Uh, but I I just think it's so important as Christians that we have a different path. Uh, We have a different way of communicating, a different way of talking to the culture about the problems that we all face. I mean, this is something, the things that we're facing are not just for one group or another group, because this is the United States. Um, What happens in our culture is going to affect all of us. And by the way, before we move on, before we get to our first story, uh, yes, please do not adjust your screen. I am wearing glasses and uh, that's that's not my first choice. <laughs> this may be... Well, no, I think when I was, I was doing the show at his radio talk, I think a couple of times maybe I had to wear my glasses uh, for one reason or another. But I, I was having some terrible issues yesterday with my left contact. I just could not get my eye to settle down. So finally, I, I gave up and decided I was going to wear glasses today, let my eyes have a rest uh, from the contact. So here I am in my... Uh, bespectacle glory for you today, as, um, as and that's going to be a, a very entertaining part of the program, I'm sure. All right, um, let's get let's get on to the first story that I want to deal with, because I talked about this story yesterday. I said we were going to talk about it, and we didn't get around to it because I spent a lot of time on some other things. But this is coming from Daily Wire today, and the headline is, Excavation Comes Up Empty. Zero bodies have been recovered from Canada's unmarked mass graves. Now, what you need to understand is that if you haven't been following this story, a couple of years ago, there, were the, there was the accusation that mass graves of children were being found in Canada near what was Catholic schools. Now, th- th- there were Catholic schools because the government of Canada wanted to set up schools for indigenous children who either um, were, for one reason or another, were in need of a place to live and they needed an education and uh, the catholic church cooperated with the canadian government and they set up these schools m- many times associated with the catholic church and then f- the, there were there were accusations of abuse accusations of actually worse than abuse that some of these in some of these schools the children were being killed and being buried in shallow graves and those stories have been around for a long time. Now, before I get into the story from Daily Wire about this phenomenon, I, I want to be clear that as Christians, we need to be honest that we have a history sometimes that is suspect because Christians are not perfect, they're just forgiven. I mean, I, I, I can't say that long, long enough or loud enough. People paint this picture of Christianity as being a religion that creates people that don't do the kinds of things that they're being accused of doing and that we know that they have done in the past when it comes to things like the death of children that are in the hands of those who are given the responsibility to care for them. And I'm not suggesting by talking about this story that there weren't any atrocities committed by Christians because I, I in, in, in this history, we have enough ex- external evidence, not this not this evidence that's of these bodies that, because there is no evidence yet, uh, there was just simply the possibility these bodies were there by folks that were using sonar to look underground. And the thing about that is, when you're using sonar to look underground, you can't tell if you're looking at a body or an anomaly or if you're looking at a grave or a, or a trench that was dug years ago. So... Um, it the, the only way to prove anything would be to dig up the graves. And that's what they've begun to do in Canada. And so far, they haven't found any bodies um, where they were supposed to find them. But everybody leapt to the conclusion that the bodies were there. The worst possible picture was painted against the Catholic Church and against Christians. And, it, and actually, it got so bad that there were people who went out and vandalized and burned churches in Canada in, in retribution this was a there was a rash of vandalism and arson against churches a couple of years ago when these stories first started coming out because people were outraged and they were outraged by headlines like this um, i went back and and just pulled up a story from america uh, this is a, the the Jesuit review and this is just from one i mean i could have chosen from actually literally hundreds of stories But here's the headline from the Politics and Society page. Over 600 bodies found at another Catholic school for indigenous children in Canada. Now, if you read that headline, what do you immediately assume? I mean, you assume that these are bodies that have been found. This is not evidence of bodies. That's not what the, the headline doesn't say anything about that they're talking about evidence for, the, for these bodies being found, they just make a, a flat statement that 600 bodies of indigenous children have been found. Now, to know that they were indigenous children, you would have to exhume the bodies. I mean, you'd have to dig them up. You can't know that from sonar. You can suspect it because of the location of a particular Catholic school, the knowledge that that particular Catholic school or boarding school had indigenous children, and if you find underground evidence through sonar that there are bodies there, then you can can jump to a lot of conclusions and say these are indigenous children, but the only way to know for sure is to dig them up. So, so here's the first couple of paragraphs. Leaders of indigenous groups in Canada said Thursday, this, is from, this story is from June 24th, 2021, investigators have found more than 600 unmarked graves at the site of a former residential school for indigenous children, a discovery that follows last month's report of 215 bodies found at another school. The bodies were discovered at the Marival Indian Residential School, which operated from 1899 to 1997, where the um, Cowas' First Nation is now located, about 85 miles east of Regina, the capital of Saskatchewan, um, a search ground. And now, now, how many paragraphs have I read here? All right, okay, uh, two paragraphs. I'm at the third paragraph. If you're reading the story before you find out that they haven't found actual bodies, but they found evidence through ground-penetrating sonar that the bodies are there. A search with ground-penetrating radar—actually radar, radar, but they use sonar in some cases—resulted in 751 hits, indicating that at least 600 bodies were buried in the area, said Chief Cadmus Delorme of Cowasis. The radar operators have said their results could have a margin of error of 10 percent. Quote, we want to make sure when we tell our story, we're not trying to make numbers sound bigger than they are. Della Roma said, I like to say over 600, just to be assured. So what, what you have is a headline that says 600 bodies of children found, which is, I mean, how horrifying is that? Um, and then you get to the third paragraph, you find out that no bodies have really been found. There's, there's only imaging from ground-penetrating radar and sonar that give the idea or the impression that there may be bodies in the area. We don't know that they're children. We don't know that they're indigenous children. We don't know what it is. It could be anomalies in the soil at this point. Um, and this is two years ago. And, and these stories, stories like this, again, were in the hundreds. I mean, it was a worldwide scandal, um, even to the, po- to the point that the Pope weighed in. I mean, it, it, he he got, uh, for whatever reason, uh, the Pope felt like that he had to come out and speak out about this. I mean, uh, Pope Francis apologized over the claims, stating, I humbly beg forgiveness for the evil committed by so many Christians against the indigenous peoples. And Canada now has a national holiday over the allegations called National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Now, again, um, I think during this time period um, in the in the late mid th- mid to late 19th century in the 1800s from about 1870 on um, did were there atrocities into the early 20th century uh, were were children in these locations mistreated and some of them likely died from the mistreatment that they received? Yes were a lot of children helped? By these institutions, by these boarding schools, were they given a chance at life when they would have really had no life, and then had they not been taken in uh, to the boarding schools, because it—it it was most of these places the the Canadian government was trying to figure out what to do with Indigenous children who's, uh who, who didn't have homes anymore. Now you can go back and say, well, the whole purpose they reason they didn't have homes is because the the white man was stealing their land and so forth. I get it. I'm again, I'm not defending Christians from doing from making bad decisions and being immoral in some cases in in relationship to the story. But what I am doing is 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 going back and saying you have an irresponsible media. You have an irresponsible government who at the outset printed things that they did not have evidence to support. Putting headlines out like out there, like six hundred children found, when all they had was ground-penetrating radar evidence of this, and they couldn't possibly know who was buried there or if there were really there was really anybody buried there. So, as questions about this became to began to emerge, much too late. I mean you know if if wouldn't it been wouldn't it have been good if the questions about these bodies were raised before the vandalism and the arson started which was was manufactured by the fact that people were angry over headlines that had no evidence to back it up and and you got and what what amazes me if if you have anything happen that can be tied to a conservative or to a christian then immediately the media ties any event into a a conservative or Christian or conservative organization or Christian organization and immediately says, okay, look, it's these people's fault. This is, you know, we found Y and the result is X and the X is always a conservative or a Christian organization. Now, anytime that it's the opposite... When you have people who are more progressive or anti-Christian, it can be proven that they're the perpetrators. They're the ones that have caused a problem. Then um, if you suggest that the information links this shooting or this tragedy or evidence of of a tragedy that took place even a couple of hundred years ago, if, if you can link that to a person who's progressive, and if you do that, then you're guilty of slandering their name. I mean, we're not that nobody suggested that Christians were being slandered because the expectation was, well, of course, this is the way Christians believe, uh, acor- behave, because it's the way they believe. Of course, Christians would be guilty of this. So there's a lot going on here as we look at this story, and a lot for us as Christians to digest. The Bible calls us to be honest and repentant about things that we do that are bad. Okay? I mean, sin. Okay, I'm just gonna go ahead and say the S-word. When when we engage in sin, even as believers, which we're going to do because we're not perfect, we're forgiven. We're um, we we the the sub, uh, substitutionary atonement means that Christ died on the cross, making a payment that He did not owe for our sin, which we did owe, and we can be forgiven. But then we're still going to have to live in this world, and we're going to make bad decisions, even after we come to Christ. Often. And the way that we're supposed to live in that world, in a fallen world where the flesh affects us, we, we're supposed to be honest when we find out that Christians have been behaving badly. We confess and we freely admit. You know, there, there were a lot of arguments made in this country back in the uh, mid 1800s and even before, actually, all the way back pre Revolutionary War. There were Christians making arguments from the Bible that slavery was something that was a good thing, that it's something that was a natural thing. I mean, it was it was terrible. Now, most of our founding fathers, by the way, were abolitionists. Even some who owned slaves believed that slavery was an institution that had to go. Because as they began to write into the Declaration of Independence and into the Constitution, the fact that all men are created equal, then they had to come back and deal with the fact that we weren't behaving as a people who really believed that because of the way that we were treating African-Americans and the way we supported slavery. So there have been people in history who have taken the Bible and used it to as a defense for things that are indefensible, and slavery is chief among them. So we have to acknowledge that. We have to confess our sin. You know, the Bible's really clear about this. If If... You know, if, if we confess our sin, 1 John 1 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this is needed in the Christian community. But the other thing that we have to be sure is that we're standing up and pushing back against false accusations, against statements that are being made that are simply biased or um, you know, hate-filled statements against Christians because of who we are. Now, we don't push back like the rest of the world. We we push back by standing firm. You know, Paul talked about in Ephesians. You put on the spiritual armor, and then what do you do? You put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. You take the shield of faith. You put on the belt of truth. You take up the sword of the spirit. You put on the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace and you stand. And that word in the Greek actually means stand forth. It means to stand up, stand firm, and stand forward. Lean forward. You lean into this, into the defense of the truth of the gospel. And so we need to point out these things, like the fact that two years ago, when everybody was sure that there were mass graves... And and that was trumpeted through headlines in hundreds of publications around the world that led to arson and led to vandalism. Then by, by opponents of Christianity. Then we we need to we need to see, to call them out on this because no evidence has been found that there are actually any bodies. Now, may, could evidence be found? Yes. I mean, they're they're not through digging. I mean, they're going to keep digging until they find something, is is what I... And if they find something and it can be verified that children, the bodies of children are found, that can be linked to the time period when indigenous people were in Catholic boarding, Catholic-sponsored boarding schools working with the government in Canada, then there needs to be mass repentance. And I mean, we need to to admit that there were terrible things done... um, if, if these mass graves materialize, but so far, so far, they haven't. A uh, recent evacu- uh, excavation, I should say, project commissioned by a Native American leader at a Catholic church found no evidence of human remains. Again, casting doubt on allegations of Canada's so-called unmarked mass graves. Canada was rocked two years ago. This is coming from Daily Wire, by the way, today. Canada was rocked two years ago by reports of hundreds or even thousands of these alleged unmarked mass graves of Native American children of residential schools that were funded by the Canadian government and run by Catholics and other Christians. So far, not a single body has been removed. Reports from this summer indicated that there could be the remains of 60 children on the premises and then ground-penetrating radar found 14 anomalies in the basement of Our Lady of Seven Sorrows Church, which sits beside the former Pine Creek Residential School. Like the dozen other reports before this one, the media suggested these anomaly detections were likely the bodies of children who were apparently killed or neglected to the point of death and then secretly buried in these unmarked graves. Wanting answers, Chief Derek Nipinak, of Pine Creek First Nation helped commission an excavation, which started on July 24th, lasted about four weeks. In August, the chief announced that the team from the University of Brandon found no human remains. Now, it, to, to understand where how we got to this point, we can go back a few years um, to uh, a an, an archaeologist in Canada named Sarah Bolu and I, I hope I'm pronouncing her last name correctly, uh, One of the fir- because one of the first reports that came out of Canada to find these unmarked graves came from Kamloops, and you had Sarah Bolu, Dr. Sarah Bolu. Her estimate was, at first, 215 children. It was later downgraded to 200 probable buri- burials. It was later clarified that these anomalies just mean disruptions in the soil were found, not necessarily bodies. Moreover, critiques of Bolu suggested the archaeologists confused these alleged shallow graves around the school with 2,000 feet of trenches that were dug for the school's septic system. Bolu also cited an alleged child's tooth and a rib bone from a juvenile when presenting her findings, but that tooth was found to be non-human and there are no records of the supposed rib bone. Additionally, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police to this day have not excavated this area in Kamloops. So here, th- this is where we are in our culture today. If, if a Christian or a conservative is named in any kind of possible wrongdoing, then immediately there's this visceral reaction. And because the assumption by the culture is that this is what Christianity is. Our culture in our day has painted Christianity in such a negative light that it immediately embraces anything like this and says, "Oh, well we know that Christians behave this way. We know this is this is uh, the church. We know this is this has to be right because we know what Christians the way Christians behave." And I'm telling you this this kind of assumption goes all the way back to the 1st century. I mean it goes back to Roman times um, shortly after the resurrection of Jesus, once Christianity began to spread. You had all of these stories circulating. For example, People believed that Christians were cannibals because they talked about the Eucharist, that is, the body and the bread, the bread becoming the body of Christ, and and the cup, the wine, becoming the blood. And so they were considered to be cannibals. Uh, Christians were considered to be atheists, believe it or not, because they didn't believe in the pantheon of gods that were necessary in the Roman Empire to satisfy some kind of religious tolerance because they believed in one God and they believed that there was one way to that God, then that was something that made them suspect. So here we are in the 21st century, and again, basic Bible beliefs that Christians live by, basic Bible beliefs about the image of God in every person, basic Bible beliefs about human sexuality are are used as a hammer against Christianity. And so... We're portrayed as the bad guys of the culture, and so of course when a story like this emerges, it must be true. It must be that Christians really did commit these atrocities. Were there atrocities committed by Christians during this time period? Yes. Were they atrocities on the level that they've been allowed to say in Canada to this point without evidence? Well, right now we have to say no because all of these accusations are coming up empty. Um, this is, and of course, Chief Nipiac is concerned about denialism. You know, you can't be a climate denier because if you deny the climate change mantra, then you're you're cast out of public society. I mean, you can't, you 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 don't have a right to speak if you if you don't agree with the vaccine. Uh, narrative that's out there that every vaccine for COVID is safe and effective, and it does exactly what they originally said that the vaccine does. If you question that with any study, any report, anything that calls it into question, then you're cast on the outside. You're, you're considered a denier. So th- this is Chief Nimp- Nimpiak just simply picking up on this terminology that if you question the fact that these bodies are buried there, even though, you know, we haven't found any. He was concerned because it, it went, when he's the one of the instigators of digging up this ground, and he's worried that because they didn't find anything, it's going to lead to a bunch of deniers. Well, um, you know, yes, I would say that right now it appears that these accusations that led to vandalism and church burnings are not true because no evidence has been found, no facts have been found to back up the accusations. Uh, we know from our observations, said the chief of public of the public at large, that our work will feed into a denialist narrative of what happened to our families in residential schools. The results of our excavation under the church are a unique and specific example which not should not be compared to other initiatives currently being pursued around other residential uh, school sites across the country. Yeah, well that's all that's all well and good, except none of these other excavations have turned up anything either so far. And I'm, I put that caveat in there because I'm not saying that they won't find something. They might. But the problem is that they insinuated that they already they had already found everything two years ago that started the violence against the church in Canada, that that when they really hadn't found anything, they had they had not un- uncovered any evidence other than ground penetrating radar that the po- that there were bodies there. I mean, in order to prove that there are bodies there, you have to produce some. Um, here's the, uh, Trudeau, who is of course the what are you what are the in, in Canada Prime Minister? I guess he's the Prime Minister. Uh, He said, it is unacceptable and wrong that acts of vandalism and arson are being seen across the country, including against Catholic churches, he said. One of my reflections is that I understand the anger that is out there against the federal government, against institutions like the Catholic Church. It is real and it is fully understandable given the shameful history we are all becoming more aware of. Well, he he might have wanted to keep his powder dry for a little bit longer because it turns out we're not becoming more aware of anything. In fact, as the excavations go forward, we become less aware of the level of accusations that began back in 2021. All right, um, and, and let, let me just conclude by, by throwing this out there. How are we as Christians supposed to respond to this? Well, I think Christians always should be where the facts are. We should be honest about our past. Christians are, again, are not perfect. We make bad decisions. Christians do bad things in the name of God. Terrible things have been done in the name of Jesus. I mean, you go, you can go back through our history and see that that's true. Now, that's exaggerated in our culture today because those who want to take down Christianity will circle and highlight any instance of Christian abuse or Christian bad behavior throughout history while ignoring the death toll and the, the tragedy that's been brought on the world by atheism, as through communism and through other forms of government that don't recognize the individual image of God in every person. It, 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 and that allows the government to treat people like property. And that attitude and mindset has led to, to many more deaths and much more tragedy, particularly in the 20th century, uh, than anything that Christianity's been responsible for throughout its history. So, wh- look, we need to be honest about that. When when we discover that Christians are wrong, we need to be the first ones to repent and to ask for forgiveness and to try to make right the things that we did that made things wrong. But this is, th- this is not an example of that. I mean, I... I, we, we need to acknowledge that there were, abu- were abuses in these Catholic schools, but we need to push back on the accusation that it led to mass deaths of Native American children, and they're buried under these Catholic schools, because the evidence, the facts, don't support that. All right, um, let's talk about the Burning Man boondoggle here. I, 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 never, <laughs> I never really thought I would find myself talking about Burning Man, um, I, I remember some of the early stories uh, because according to The Richest, Burning Man was founded back in 1986. And I, I remember seeing some stories stories back there about a group of people gathering on a beach in San Francisco, and they burned a nine-foot model of a man. And then there, there were probably about 30 people maybe at that first Burning Man um, event on the beach. And then each year, more and more people attended the Burning Man ritual until they moved it into the desert in Nevada, a remote place called Black Rock City, which actually, Black Rock City doesn't exist until people show up for the Burning Man event. And a a lot of this material, by the way, that I'm sharing with you, it came from The Richest, which is a a magazine website, um, and it's also coming from Ben Shapiro over at Daily Wire. So, What's going on now? What what has burning man become? Well, it's thousands of people, tens of thousands of people descending on the site once a year, and they're, they're not supposed to bring anything with them that would sustain life. In other words, they're supposed to live off the land. They're supposed to live by bartering, by free exchange and trade. They're supposed to essentially bring a hammer and and rudimentary materials to build a shelter. So they construct their shelters out of using their own tools and equipment. And the only things that are bought and sold during Burning Man, and this goes on for about 11 days, uh, the only things bought or sold is coffee and water. Everything else they barter or gift. Now, coffee and water are paid for because there are expenses involved in getting coffee and water to the desert. I mean, the desert doesn't produce coffee and water, so you can't, no matter what you do, you can't dig a well out there, and you can't find, you know, coffee beans so that you can have your morning coffee. That has to be brought in. So capitalism to the rescue, because nothing works like capitalism to move goods and services from one place to another. So once you've, you know, you're talking about people that are full-fledged communist in their ideas about the economy— socialist, communist, and and yet they have to have capitalism come to the rescue so they can have a cup of coffee every morning. I mean, communism is good at moving your stuff away from you, and it's good at moving you when you don't agree with communism to the gulag, but that's pretty much it. I mean, capitalism is a free person's path to maintaining their freedom, and it's their path to rise from whatever circumstances they may be in to a better circumstance crafted by what? crafted by their own willingness to work and their own ingenuity. Capitalism praises a willingness to work. It praises ingenuity. Communism doesn't because it makes you stand out. And the worst thing you can do in a communist society is stand out unless you're standing out in order to glorify the state. There is no benefit for the citizenry. So communism in the caste system is actually designed to keep you locked into whatever station in life that you were born into, and it keeps you locked for one purpose, so that you can serve the state without worrying about making a better life for you and your family. And capitalism is about making that better life. And so when you look at Burning Man and you see these people that are going there, we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but but they're, they're the hippies of the 1960s. I mean, this this, the, the countercultural mindset uh, of the 60s is is being reborn at Burning Man. But there's a problem with that because the counterculture has actually become the norm for culture. You can't be countercultural when the culture embraces all the things that you say are countercultural. So the attendees, and by the way, they're called burners, are provided a space. Now, am, am I tempted to make some connection here to what the Bible says about the final destination is for people. Look, I, I I'm, I'm not going to go there, I know some of you are going to say, "Well, you just did." So you just no. I think that's a that's a cheap shot, but I'm I'm going to admit to you that that did go through my mind. Known as burners, um, the the these attendees are provided a space for countercultural expression. Now that's the the big catchphrase for Burning Man. Now, and and we need to stop here. And, and just what we said a minute ago, realize that what was countercultural 30 years ago is now the culture with, with that, that is accepted with the accepted standards for culture now considered countercultural. So if you believe in morality, if you believe in any kind of standard, any kind of absolute truth, any kind of, of things that we all need to embrace to be able to live together without killing each other, so to speak— if you embrace any of those values, any of those morals, then you are the one that's countercultural, not the ones that are going into the desert, the eighty thousand or so, and basically going to something called the pleasure dome, which is an, a place where orgies take place, and people who don't even know each other show up for sex. I mean, this is the kind of thing that's going on at Burning Man. Uh, it, it, it's a it's really weird pagan rituals, sex with strangers. And and I can't even I mean I can't even describe some of the things that are are going taking place out there. I read a a pretty long article about the activities. I looked at a typical day of activities, and and let me just say I'm 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 basically helping you by not telling you what these things are, because we we don't need to get into that much detail. But I can tell you that the bizarre have become the bell of the ball. I mean that's what we can say. The rich and the famous in the tech industry, the entertainment world are showing up at Burning Man and proclaiming really bizarre ideas about life and morality and they make everyone believe that's that's how they live when they get back to Hollywood and Silicon Valley. But it's not true. I mean, they come out there for 11 days and they behave as if there's no rules, there's no limits, there's no morals. Everybody's free to do what they, anybody wants to do to anybody. But when they go home, that's not the values that they live by, and that's not the way they raise their families for the most part. The truth is, most of these people live very different lives from the ones that they portray in the desert for 11 days. Now again, according to the richest, many of the revelers are beginning to complain about Burning Man. Because people are not abiding by the rules. Now imagine that. You've got a gathering of 80,000 people who are committed to 11 days of pure paganism, random sexual encounters, weird sex games, all while listening to avant-garde music and taking in art that glorifies all of the reasons for coming to Burning Man. And now they're somehow cheating. Everybody's shocked. That, that's the, the people who say, well, we should live free. We shouldn't be bound by anybody's morality or anybody's sense of right and wrong. And, and so some of those people are cheating. They're not living by the rules. Really? Um, the tech billionaires and people from the entertainment world that are coming to Burning Man are, are having luxury accommodations built for them in the desert while everybody else builds their hovels as a tribute to Hooverville. I mean, you know, this is supposed to be the lack of material goods. This is supposed to be everybody getting together, getting together to celebrate the common man. And yet now people are arriving early, building these luxury spaces. Um, Tech billionaires and entertainment billionaires are arriving on private jets. So they're destroying the ozone, destroying the atmosphere, causing climate change. And they're bringing with them chefs and servants to the middle of the desert. And and that's that's uh, that's really not desert living, I mean that's not even camping or glamping. I mean this is this, this is luxury living created in a space that was supposed to be carved out by everybody's own hands. So when discomfort and inconvenience are are called for to take everybody back to their roots, the rich and famous go well. Uh, that's not really what I signed up for here. So let me contract this out and then I'll show up. <laughs> So <laughs> again, capitalism over communism. Communism is supposed to say the simple life. You bring your own tools, you work with your own hands, and then all of a sudden they're contracting out to have these luxury um uh, sites built so they can keep having the comforts that they have in Silicon Valley and Hollywood while they're in the middle of the desert. Um and, and that's really interesting. It's supposed to be bring what you have, take what you want, give what you will, receive from others that which you need. I mean, that's kind of the mantra. But many have commented now on how the whole thing is commercial because there are people actually coming to Burning Man doing commercial shoots, wearing and taking promotional pictures of brands with BlackRock as the background, and then posting those pictures on websites to sell products. It's like Ben Shapiro says, capitalism always wins in the end. And it does, because it's the natural flow. You have a product, you develop that product, you work to make that product desirable, you sell the product, you you have something that other people want, you sell it for a profit, and you take the profit to pour back into your business and to pay for your life, to pay for your needs capitalism is a great system. Yeah. You have to watch out for greed. You have to be wary of people who are in the system only for themselves and don't care about anybody else. But as far as it raising the population from a state of poverty to, um, to middle class, there's nothing like capitalism. And we need to keep saying that because so many people are undermining capitalism and talking about how bad it is. You know, when you go back again in, in history, if you look at what was happening in Europe, say in the Middle Ages, as capitalism began to grow, people who were forever in the lower class of society, you had no middle class. You had lower class, you had an upper class of rich and elites and the royalty And and then you had the people down here groveling, trying to make a living every day. And as capitalism began to take over as the main way that people did business or operated in the ancient medieval world, then people began to elevate out of the lower levels of the strata into the middle levels, and some made it all the way up to the top. So what are the principles of Burning Man? Radical inclusion. That is, everyone is accepted regardless of who they are. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here, and I'm gonna say that everybody would be accepted for who they are, except if you showed up with a Bible and started to pe- talking to people about Christianity and morality and right and wrong and truth, as opposed to truth being relative to everybody. I think you'd find yourself shown to the door. I think we all know this, and I you know p- people people are not gonna be allowed to come into this environment, even though radical inclusion is the call. You, if you don't agree with radical inclusion, or if you don't agree with what the people who embrace radical inclusion include, then you can't be included. I mean, that's, <laughs> I know that sounds like double talk, but that's the way it works. I mean, and Christianity is not given a place at that table to have a message. Inclusion is reserved for everyone who's going to the Pleasure Dome, uh, you know, but known by its popular name, the Orgy Dome. Another principle for Burning Man, gifting, acts of gift-giving. Gifting doesn't contemplate exchange for something of equal value. That's not how the real world works. I mean, gifting, if you give something, the expectation is you're going to receive something, especially if you're working together in a hostile environment to survive. You can't just give and not expect to get something in return, barter, trade, whatever. But the expectation for Burning Man is there should be no expectation of receiving anything. And for those who embrace that, I mean, pretty soon they end up with all your stuff and you end up with nothing. You you end up with the short end of the stick. Decommodification is another principle. No sponsorships or advertising. Radical self-service is the mantra or self-reliance, I should say, is the mantra at Burning Man discover, exercise, and rely on your own inner resources. Your radical self-expression makes no demands on others, but you need to remember this. If your radical self-expression represents something the group doesn't like, then you're radically exercised from the group. So self-expression is good as long as your self-expression lines up with the thought process or the narrative of Burning Man. If it doesn't, you're out the door. So all this stuff about inclusion, radical inclusion—it's—it's it's a smokescreen to allow only the inclusion of people who are countercultural. If you've got cultural mores, mores and values that and, and 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 that and morality that that is needed as the glue of the culture, kind of holds us all together. Then, excuse me, uh, but walk six miles down this way. You'll find the highway. Use it to get out of uh, out of town because we're, we're not going to allow that at Burning Man. Uh, the communal effort. That's another principle. Two more. Communal effort and participation. Valor, valuing the production of art and music, the creation of civil society, is part of the Burning Man ethos, Our ethos. Our community represent, uh, respects the environment, and, yeah, except when the Burning Man hordes move out, you find trash strewn along the highways that give access to the desert. So they're not respecting the environment. This is not a a group of people that are uh, necessarily inclined toward cleaning up after themselves, even though that's one of their principles. Uh, Participation, transformative change, whether in the individual or in society, can only take place only through the medium of deeply personal participation. We achieve being through doing. That's one of their big statements. Everyone is invited to work. Everyone is invited to play. okay? Well, that again, that, that's good. Uh, and certainly it's true that participating in society is is going to help society, but only if your participation adds to the collective good of society. If you step into society with no moral foundation, if you step in and advocate, for an open society that doesn't recognize any boundaries when it comes to personal relationships or to um, the way God created the world to work. If, if you step into society and have a model that's completely removed from the model that God has given as to how we're supposed to work and live together, then you're not helping society, you're pushing it toward the abyss. And then the final uh, principle here is immediacy. Immediate experience is the most important touchstone in our culture. Immediate in other words, let me I'm I'm alive and I know I'm alive because I experience something. And and the experience is everything. And it doesn't matter if the experience is harmful or hurtful to me or others, I just want to have the experience because it makes me feel alive. And I'm gonna tell you something. Apart from the the presence of God in Christ we do feel like that we're not alive. Because the Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sins, in Ephesians. Paul makes that clear. And and this desire for life is actually a call from our Creator to come and know Him through His Son, Jesus Christ, to be made alive in Christ so that we can live a life then that we've been called to by God that can reflect the principles that God has revealed in His Word. And I, I, I'm just, maybe you're watching this podcast or you're listening to it and, and you've never really thought this through. But if you're one of those people who feel like you have to experience the immediate, you've got to have something going on all the time, or, or there's a nagging sense of a lack of purpose, you don't feel like you're truly alive, you know, can I mention Jesus and the woman at the well at Sychar? Because that's the experience. What the what the woman was experiencing at the well is what you're experiencing. She was thirsty. She was coming. She had to draw water every day. And yet, even that couldn't satisfy her. Jesus comes along and says, I'm going to give you living water that will spring up in you and become an eternal source of the satisfaction, of the peace, of... The sense of belonging that you long for. And that's, as a believer, that's what true believers, followers of Jesus, experience. And if you don't know Christ, I encourage you. Um, let, consider the promises that God has made in his son, Jesus Christ. Just And, and I'm, I'm saying that out of love. I'm not saying it out of some kind of uh, desire just to evangelize. or I, I'm, I'm saying it because I know that the transformation that God has done in my life is a transformation that come to all who confess their sins and come to know Jesus. All right, what happened uh, with the Burning Man? How'd this whole thing work out for him? Well, uh, not too good, it turns out, because according to, I believe this story comes from the Atlantic, no, it's the Wall Street Journal, Thousands leave Burning Man after weekend mired in mud. Heavy rains trap tech titans, free spirits in clingy Nevada clay. Boy, this is, this is some writing here. Clingy Nevada clay. Here's the story from Black Rock City, Nevada, as told by the Washington Post. The technology entrepreneurs, artists, and other free spirits who flock to this desert playa for the annual Burning Man Festival are accustomed to weathering withering heat and dust storms. This year, they wound up wallowing in the muck. Um, can I just suggest that before the rain came, they were still wallowing in the muck? I mean, again, just a list of the games, the total lack of restraint when it comes to anything relating to sexuality or morality, there, there is no restraint. This is a place to go walk around naked if you want to, um, and have a sexual encounter with anybody you desire that is willing. Um, and, and again, back to the pleasure dome. I mean, that's one of the big attractions of Burning Man is they've got this huge dome where up to 5,000 people can be, uh, again over the, a period of time there can engage in sex with random people. I mean, this is uh, this, this, this really is a, a picture of a society that has, as, as the Bible says, cast off all restraint. And without restraint, because we are people who are affected by the fall, we're going to fall into the lowest common denominator. All right, uh, another paragraph, and we'll be done here. A desert storm turned the dry lake bed into a thick, slimy clay over the weekend, transforming the Burning Man site uh, about 90 miles north of Reno, Nevada, into a quagmire and forcing the closure of the roads in and out of the event attended by tens of thousands of people. Attendees spent the weekend covered in mud, which caked their boots and made traversing the temporary city difficult. The rain-flooded tents, causing some participants to rush to find new accommodations or to quit the festival entirely if they could manage a way out. On Monday, with sunshine returning, Burning Man organizers said they began allowing the thousands still stuck to gradually file out an annual rite known as the Exodus around 2 p.m. local time. So, I, I, you know, I have to point out that here you have a group of people who are have made the decision to embrace all things without restraint. And you have a, a physical illustration of the end result of that activity. You've got thousands of people wallow in the, in the mud. Now, they were already participating in the mud of immorality without boundaries, and now we get a rainstorm that sort of brings that into physical view. What was happening has actually become true in the physical. They were stuck in the mud. They couldn't avoid it. They couldn't get out. They and And may I just please d- just say this and, and, and as kindly as I know how about sin, that is the nature of sin. Sin drags us into the mud. It pulls us into the muck. It traps us there and wants to keep us there um, as long as possible. And the only rescue, I mean, I, I think about the psalmist who said that, that uh, it was rescued as God raised him up out of the miry clay and set his feet upon the rock. I mean, the, the 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 best way for these folks to avoid the the muck and mire physically is to avoid it spiritually, to allow themselves to be raised up with their feet put on the solid rock of following biblical morality and allowing their countercultural ideas to be dispersed. All right. Anyway, that's Burning Man. I, I, I want to talk about it. I, I, I want to take just a few minutes here and talk about uh, Jimmy Buffett, because I, I didn't talk about him yesterday, and I really meant to. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by Jimmy Buffett, because it turns out that Jimmy Buffett was a billionaire. I mean, look, I love Jimmy Buffett's music. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. confess. I mean, i A lot of it I I didn't listen to because it could uh, kind of got into. There are a couple of songs that he did that um, were not exactly encouraging to somebody who was trying to maintain a Christian lifestyle. But for the most part, um, Margaritaville, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Changes in Attitudes, Changes in Latitudes, Cheeseburger in Paradise. Um, I mean, there are so many songs that in my college years, were kind of the soundtrack, kind of the background of, of the way that, that we longed for a lifestyle of just being in the Caribbean somewhere, being on a, 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 an island in the Bahamas, listening to Calypso music, and just enjoying life, you know, a, a carefree life. And it amazes me, what amazes me is that a guy who made his living telling others about how to escape was one of the most astute businessmen in the country, Jimmy Buffett was worth 1.2 billion dollars when he died, and his Margaritaville business empire is worth billion uh, uh, over two billion dollars, and it consists of restaurants, it's uh, resorts, um, it's bars, it's I mean, and and it's. It rivals people like Paul McCartney. I think Paul McCartney's next net worth is something like one point four billion, and then you've got Jimmy Buffett coming in at one point two. But here's the thing: everybody that knew him suggests that he was he was a genuinely good guy. That he was somebody that you know really um, people would have, have wanted to be around. Uh, people wanted to uh, to get to know. Uh, he was very generous. He gave a, away a lot of things. Uh, Denise and I were on a uh, trip. It's actually when we were camping down at Lake, um, um, uh, the name just... Anyway, we we're, were camping down the campground at Myrtle Beach. And we, um, we went on a dinner cruise. And the dinner cruise took us by these homes of the rich and famous in Myrtle Beach. And one of the homes we cruised by, in fact, I think it was the largest. I mean, I... There might have been one that was a little larger, but as far as being beautiful and ornate and just incredible, Jimmy Buffett's home, right? <laughs> we went right by. And I thought, well, yeah, yeah. You know, he's a multimillionaire. He can afford a place like that. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, he was a billionaire because of his business sense, his business savvy, his hard work ethic. So here's a guy who made all that for himself Based on a persona that was the exact opposite, just unplug from it all. Go to some Caribbean island and listen to Calypso music and sit back with a drink um, on the beach and live your life. And yet his real life was a life of accumulating great wealth through a series of business ventures that were very, very successful. and i just I just find that to be remarkable. The the contrast, you know, and what it really speaks to us about is the fact that you can't unplug. I mean, you you may romanticize about a life that is just simply uh, existing on an island somewhere or on a beach somewhere, but in reality, we're called to a work ethic. I mean, we're called to provide for ourselves and. And while it it may be okay to think about that occasion, what would it be like if I could just go live at the beach and if I could just go? Well, here's the thing. Um, Jimmy Buffett may have thought about those things, but he lived a life that produced something that became an empire that gave him the ability to be charitable. And according to the stories that I've read about him, he was very charitable. I talked to a guy last night at the Greer Rotary Club, who actually met him one-on-one uh, when he was on a, a, a trip. I think it was in the Bahamas, and he there was a, a bar that was, it was like a Wednesday afternoon, and, and it was slow. There was hardly anybody in there, and there was a reggae band that was playing. The bar kind of opened out onto the beach, which a lot of those do in the Bahamas, um, and there was a reggae band playing. And when they finished, Jimmy Buffett, went up and sat down and started playing the guitar and singing. And my my friend at Rotary said, what, what is, what in the world? That's Jimmy Buffett. And the owner of the bar said, yeah, uh, he comes down when he's down in the area every now and then he'll just come by and try out some new songs. And that's what he's doing. And he played three songs and then he came over and sat down at the bar and talked to my friend for an extended period of time. They talked about life. They talked about, um, the, uh, uh a, a shared uh, love of the military, the fact that Jimmy Buffett's dad was uh, was in the military and is had been was was honored, and and it was just and that Jimmy Buffett would served in the military. So all of, all of that it, it it's a picture of the co- a person who's a regular guy, just a common guy who becomes very wealthy because he's hardworking and creative, and he uses his gifts and abilities. And he creates this empire. Um, Jimmy Buffett passed away at the age of 76. Um, he left a lot of good music. And he left a legacy of being a nice guy, which we could use some of that in our world, and our culture right now. Um, and he left a, a legacy of charity. I mean, a, a legacy of giving, not taking. A legacy of trying to figure out exactly how he can make other people's lives better not just the, his life and the life of his own family all right that's all the time that we've got for today we will come back tomorrow and another story i mean that we didn't get to tomorrow we'll talk about the wall street journal poll for 2024 i know polls that are out this far from the election don't mean a whole lot but i found this one a little bit fascinating because of some of the things that it revealed so we'll talk about that tomorrow on truth in politics and culture And until then, I hope you have a great day. Check out the podcast. Get it at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere podcasts are available. God bless you. See you in the morning.